Sean McMahon here. This is part five of our study of Isaiah 126, the restoration of the judges. Go check out the first four parts if you haven't yet. Make sure you subscribe to my channel to be updated when the next parts come out. And check out some of my other studies and sermons that I've done in the past. So we left off the last part with a stunning prophecy from Daniel 7:26 and following. That when the court of the restored judges convenes, the fourth beast kingdom of Rome would be given into the hand of the saints, the church. And what's all the more shocking is that the same group of prophecies locates this momentous event and the generation of Christ during the first century. Now the reason for diving into Daniel in the first place was for context. Because Jesus had invoked this prophecy at the Last Supper, as recorded in Luke 22, 28-30. Again, Christ says to his disciples, to his apostolic Sanhedrin, he says, You are the ones who have stood by me in my trials, and I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father has bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. These are the words which we pinpointed as referencing Daniel 7's prophecy of the court convening, which we discussed at length in the last part. Okay, so now watch what Jesus says next after invoking Daniel 7. It's very curious, actually. He says, Simon, Simon, and he's talking to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you've turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Now why? Why did Christ immediately turn his attention to Simon Peter after invoking Daniel 7's vision of the convening court? This is no coincidence. This is because of the special role that Peter was given by Jesus in the apostolic court. And the role, of course, is that of being the first. The first, as Matthew states, in Matthew 10, 2, Peter the first. Now let's dive into what exactly this means and what it means for the restoration of the judges as foretold by Isaiah 126. Let's go back to Matthew 16. This is where Jesus takes the disciples up to Caesarea Philippi. And this is the famous moment where he asks them all, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, we all remember this. Jesus' answer. Controversial. But Jesus' answer here reveals so much about the mystery of Isaiah 126 that it's stunning that it all fits into just three verses. Let's dive in. Jesus' controversial response. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Guys, these words are so loaded with truth about the kingdom of heaven and the court of Christ. Let's begin to unpack it. First, let's take note of where this dialogue happens, where it happens, set and setting. Caesarea Philippi. This is a mountain where Herod the Great, a king of Israel, built three temples to Caesar Augustus. This place, this mountain, is a monument 
of Israel's apostasy. It's a monument of blasphemy and it is a monument to the fourth beast kingdom. But remember that the fate of the fourth beast kingdom is to be destroyed and given into the hands of the saints, according to Daniel 7. Daniel also says something else about this kingdom involving a very curiously formed rock in Daniel 2. And in Daniel 2, he's interpreting a dream of Nebuchadnezzar, who in this dream sees a statue with a head of gold, a chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of clay mixed with iron. And then it says, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold were shattered and became like chaff on the threshing floor in summer. The wind carried them away and not a trace of them could be found. But the rock that had struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the dream. Now Daniel gives the interpretation. And each part of the statue corresponds to the four beast kingdoms. And of course, the iron feet mixed with clay, iron mixed with clay. That's Rome mixed with the clay of the land of Israel. Okay. Now Daniel says in interpretation, he says, Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will shatter all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself stand forever. And just as you saw a rock being cut out of the mountain without human hands, and it shattered the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold, so the great God has told the king what will happen in the future. So this rock is cut out of a mountain without human hands. Now compare to Matthew 16. What about Christ himself, who's not a human person, but a divine person of one single hypostatic union of fully human and fully divine nature? And I say that because it took the church a long time to figure out exactly how to define Christ. He's not a human person. He's a divine person. So Christ himself takes his disciples up to the mountain of Caesarea Philippi, the mountain of apostasy, the mountain of the fourth kingdom, and he cuts a rock out of it named Peter. And how would this rock become a great mountain and fill the earth, as Daniel said it would? Well, the mountain is the church, as St. Paul teaches in Hebrews 12. The church is Mount Zion, right? Okay, and the church is built upon a rock. Christ says, upon this rock I found my church. This church is his kingdom. His kingdom will stand forever, is what Daniel 2.44 says, while the increase of his government and peace knows no end, according to Isaiah 9.7. And of course, the church is made of living stones. Peter actually said this himself in his first epistle. Isn't that funny? The rock talks about a church made of rocks. Therefore, Jesus is building his church stone by stone, with Peter being the first stone, the first, as Matthew calls him. And that's how one rock becomes a mountain. Now, what makes Simon Peter the first rock? The first rock, because he wasn't the first to follow Christ. His brother Andrew was. Well, the answer is in the keys which Christ gives him in Matthew 16, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The bestowal of the keys to the kingdom in Matthew 16 are an echo to a similar event in the Isaiah 22, when the Lord declares that Eliakim 
will receive the key to the house of David. And it says, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Okay, that's what Isaiah 22 says. Matthew 16 echoes this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Complete parallel. So Jesus is giving Peter special keys and a special authority to bind and loose. And we'll get more into what that means later. But this is all to echo what was said of Eliakim, who was given a special office in the kingdom of God. Now, do you know what that office was? The prime minister. He was the first minister, the number one guy, right? <laughs> Right-hand man, the prime minister. So Christ was bestowing this same office on Peter. This is the sense in which Matthew called Peter the first. He's prime. He's the prime minister. This is a very real and serious appointment with historical consequences. Many of us are accustomed to leaning so heavily on Jesus' saying that my kingdom is not of this world that we forget that his otherworldly kingdom still makes demands of us in this world. Our faithfulness, our evangelical zeal, our love and service. Well, similarly, we may be tempted to overlook the significance of this moment at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, is restoring the kingdom of David, of David, right? His ancestor, which has been co-opted by pretenders to the throne, the Herods, sold out to the fourth kingdom of Rome. It's built temples to Caesar. Jesus is on this very mountain restoring this kingdom on earth. He's restoring its institutions, its judges. He is appointing a prime minister of his apostolic Sanhedrin. Is this getting interesting yet? So Peter's role in the restoration of the kingdom and the restoration of the judges is huge. Christ is Lord, right? Christ alone is Lord. But we must not forget the important ministries our Lord gave to those around him. Mary was appointed to be the mother of God, bearing the word of God in her womb as the ark once carried the word of God etched in stone, clothing him with her own flesh. What a calling. Joseph was appointed to be his father according to the flesh, raising him and guiding him to manhood. That's a massive calling. John the Baptist was appointed to appear like Elijah, restoring all things, preparing the way of the Lord. All of these individuals played monumental roles in the history of salvation. Peter is no different. So in the next part, we'll look at Peter's role in the Apostolic Sanhedrin, and will continue to uncover the mystery of Isaiah 126, prophecy of the restoration of the judges of Israel. Because it is getting interesting, isn't it, folks? Well, thanks so much for listening. Please share, like, and make sure you're subscribed to my channel. Turn on notifications so you can be alerted when the next part drops, please, and thank you. God bless you. Adios.